Thanks so much for tuning in to NL Newsday. Now, it is Tuesday, but it is the first day back after a long weekend. So, as always, on the first day of the work week, please to welcome to the program Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, how are you doing here on this Tuesday? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Well, as always, appreciate your time. Now, I wanted to start with the uh, COVID-19 passport or the BC vaccine status card, whatever term you want to use for it. We're a number of weeks into this program being in, in full force here now, and we're starting to see some of those who are being defiant about enforcing it come out of the weeds. I mean, we got uh, an owner of a restaurant in Hope here that, uh, well, it, it says it's not closing its doors or enforcing the province's week-old requirements to show proof of vaccination. There's also a uh, restaurant in Kelowna that has been shut down. We heard last week from uh, fi- uh, Public Safety Minister Mike Farmworth noting, I think at the time, he said three uh, tickets had been handed out as a result of the COVID-19 passport. That number sounds like it has grown at least a couple since then. Um I guess, first and foremost, I mean, $100 a day for defying health authority orders, uh, that that's nothing to sneeze at right now. Is that, in your mind, I suppose, an, an appropriate way to try to get these restaurants who are saying, we don't want to know about your vaccine status to try to get them to jump on board? Absolutely. I mean, there was no surprise to the restaurant industry that this was coming. People knew that it was likely to happen before it was announced. When it was announced, the industry was given time uh, to make whatever necessary changes they need to be made to ensure that there was going to be compliance. There was even some discretion and leeway given to restaurant owners who didn't believe in or restaurant employees who didn't believe in vaccination, not requiring restaurant staff or owners to actually be vaccinated, only requiring that patrons show proof of vaccination. So not even forcing anything on anyone working in the industry beyond enforcing an existing law. And to me, it's just, it's absurd to say that you're not going to check the vaccine status of somebody because you don't agree with vaccination. It, it, it would be like if I thought that the age of consumption for liquor was too high, I'm not going to check IDs and I'm going to serve alcohol to anybody who orders it. It's, mm-hmm. it's a, a ridiculous flouting of the law that has no rational connection to the beliefs these people say that they're espousing when they are uh, when they are taking this stand. Uh, I'm interested to get your thoughts on this quote from the owner of Rolly's Restaurant in Hope, the co-owner, I suppose I should call her. Um, She says, your health status is none of my business and compared it to asking customers if they're circumcised. I don't feel like that's really a fair comparison. Uh, Just what are your thoughts on that comment? Is that something that, you know, is a fair argument to be making here? That's absolutely not a fair argument to be making. First of all, your vaccination status is not your health status. Whether or not you're vaccinated reveals nothing about your personal health information. It doesn't tell me whether you have a certain disease or an illness or, you know, a chronic issue. Uh, It tells me nothing about your health status. So it's not like asking somebody about whether they're circumcised. It's not deeply personal information whether or not you have had a vaccine. In fact, most people have posted about their vaccination experience on social media in one form or another. Um, So the, the comparison is absurd. The other reason why the comparison makes no sense to me is whether or not a restaurant patron is circumcised has no impact on anybody else in the restaurant or the health or safety of other people. Whereas if you're vaccinated against a communicable disease, you are less likely to get that disease. You're less likely to uh, develop serious illness as a result of that disease. It makes you less of a risk to the public. 
and it's fair and appropriate for restaurants to be asking about things that affect the health and safety of their workers and their patrons. Going back to the fine structure here, so we talked about the $100 a day for defying the authority orders here. Um, it, was, it looks like the fines could go as high as $25,000, and at that point they could also face some jail time as well. Do you see the the province having to get to a point with some of these places? Because it doesn't sound like if you're this adamant about not checking vaccine cards and you're going to continue to operate your business, and even if you're told to shut down, you're going to open anyway. I mean, jail time seems almost like the only way to get some of these individuals to either comply or, at the very least, shut down so they're not welcoming people in for the possibility of COVID outbreaks. I will say that, yes, I think jail time is ultimately going to have to be necessary and they're going to have to make an example of someone. The same way that we saw, you know, late last year uh, when the uh, person in Vancouver who was having those condo parties in violation of gathering restrictions uh, was sentenced and received a, a short period of one day of jail, um, as well as uh, as well as other significant consequences as a result of his action. Somebody is going to have to be made an example of because there are a lot of restaurants that are refusing to follow this order. It's not just sort of the big three that we've been hearing about. Um, And uh, the government put this in place for a reason. They're not going to allow people to continue to be scoff laws um, um, unless there is a a significant consequence that's going to come from it. So I do think that this is an eventuality. I'm concerned about the eventuality because I think that putting somebody in jail for uh, not checking vaccination status or directing their staff members not to do that uh, will martyr them and might have the opposite of the intended effect by making them more of a folk hero to this insane movement of not wanting other people to be vaccinated. And and I'm curious too, do you have a thought on sort of at what point uh, a zero tolerance approach needs to be taken? Because it seems like, you know, there's, there's instances where maybe someone's not checking the vaccine passport and and uh, they get like sort of a warning, a first time warning, as opposed to being handed a fine or, or being shut down with some sort of a health related order. But does there come a point where you have to say, you know, enough's enough. We're not giving out warnings anymore. If you're found to not be doing this practice, then we're going to either A, give you a hefty fine or B, shut you down on the spot. I do think that, you know, having those as the options and and, uh, taking a zero tolerance approach is appropriate. I think, you know, shutting people down on the spot if they're developing a a pattern of not checking the status. And of course, it's inconvenient for restaurants to have to do this. It's a burden on staff. They get subject to abuse from people who are not supportive of vaccine passports or vaccine cards. Um, So, you know, it puts the staff at risk. I can understand the frustration of many restaurant owners to want to follow the examples of other people in not doing it but those people need to be uh to be shut down quickly in order to keep people who are trying to abide with the law but are finding it inconvenient or difficult from deciding to give up on doing it yeah well i I think we're going to see more of these types of stories happening and i am curious to see just how heavy-handed the enforcement does start to get um as we see more and more of these instances occurring because i i don't think these stories are going away anytime soon um all right to switch gears here kyla and kind of dovetailing off a conversation we had last week although not necessarily really in the same vein as talking about protecting your animals from uh you know attacks from wildlife like cougars which was the conversation we had a week ago but In terms of feeding wildlife, this was an interesting story coming out earlier this month out of Whistler. Uh, A woman fined 
$60,000 for feeding bears. This story going back as far as 2018. Um, we heard that this woman had been going to the store purchasing cases of apples, pounds upon pounds of carrots, and dozens of eggs on a weekly basis to feed bears during that summer of 2018. I mean, $60,000 is... A lot of money we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. I mean, clearly they're trying to get a point across to this woman who sounds like she was basically, you know, every every day was feeding dinner to these bears. I mean, that is not something you're supposed to be doing. It is definitely not something you're supposed to be doing. Uh, it's bad for the wildlife. Um, it's bad for your community. Um, and it puts the wildlife at risk of being essentially put down. Uh, we know that uh, the BC Conservation Service has an uh, ongoing problem, <laughs> to put it that way, uh, with killing bears and sort of the controversy around that. Um, by effectively domesticating the bears and making them reliant on humans for a food source, you only serve to exacerbate that problem, even though you might feel like you're doing the right thing for the bears at the time by allowing them to have access to food. I mean, it's one thing, right, if you're just going to, you say you're on vacation somewhere and you have sort of a secluded uh, cabin that you're staying at and maybe you see some wildlife and you, you throw them the, the leftover steak from dinner. You know, you shouldn't be doing that either. But that's a little bit of a different scenario than, you know, clearly on a daily basis. I mean, feeding wildlife and, and getting them set up to be able to, uh, as you said, domesticate it. I mean, th these are completely different things. So a $60,000 fine is large, but clearly kind of fits the crime, I suppose, in this type of a situation. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I agree that the $60,000 fine necessarily fits the crime. Um, this case is actually really interesting from the perspective of a lawyer because both the Crown Counsel and the defense lawyer in that case told the judge that they thought the appropriate amount of the fine was $10,000. And the judge did not agree and actually imposed a six times higher fine for the purposes of deterring the public from doing this in the future. Um, and it's incredibly rare for courts in Canada to depart from something that is jointly suggested by Crown and Defence um, and to impose something that is that much higher than what was jointly suggested. Interesting. So um, I guess, is there precedent that comes along with that? I mean, as you're trying to maybe look at similar cases that could happen in the future, uh, this $60,000 fine, which is six times higher than the $10,000 fine that was originally recommended, I mean, does this kind of set the table for, for this type of a, a huge increase to be seen more frequently? Uh, it does, although it would require similar factual circumstances. Essentially, in sentencing, what judges consider is they look at precedent, like other cases where um, people have been sentenced for the same offense. Um, but they also look at the circumstances of the individual and the way that the offense was committed. So looking at, uh, at the situation as a whole, rather than just saying, if you feed the bears, you have to pay $60,000. If you are continuously feeding bears and, and domesticating them and creating more of a nuisance for the community and you continue to do it even though you know you shouldn't um, because you have a misguided belief that you think that you're helping the bears, then you should have to pay $60,000. Um, so it, it does have that precedential value, but only to a limited extent. Right. Okay. Well... It's interesting stuff, and uh, yeah, we'll see if we see similar things come down. I can't imagine we will. I mean, I mean, there's probably other stories of similar things happening, but this is pretty, 
pretty um, extraordinary, if you ask me, to have this much food being purchased for bears on a, such a frequent basis. All right, Kyla, I think that's all for now. Always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining me here on a Tuesday as opposed to a Monday, and uh, hopefully we'll have a chance to catch up again soon. Okay, perfect. Yeah. For sure. Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee, right there here on the first day of the work week.